Hello, welcome to the Mag Life, episode number 169. I'm Daniel Shaw. I'm here with Varg Freeborn. How you doing, Varg? Pretty good, pretty good. How about you? Not bad at all. Having a great day down in sunny Texas. Hey, got a little episode lined up today for everybody out there. Varg and I are going to talk about rifle setups. You should have a rifle. Handguns suck. Rifles are awesome. Much better at changing behavior. There's a lot of good reasons why it you should go with a rifle rather than a handgun and have your rifle set up in a way, especially if you own a firearm for self-defense, uh, having a good AR or AK, whatever it is you like, but we'll probably stick around the AR world a little bit. Mark, why should somebody have a good good rifle and, and rather than you know supplement a handgun? Because whenever possible, the rifle is a superior weapon in basically every single way. Yes. Anything outside of concealment, it's it's the boss of the situation. So you're gonna get, um, you know, typically more magazine capacity. You're gonna get more manageable recoil. You're gonna get faster shots on target, shot to shot. You can get away with that bad trigger press that you have with a handgun, with a rifle. You know, a lot of folks out there are better rifle shooters than they are handgun shooters. It's uh, in a lot of cases, it's uh, because they can get away with some fundamental errors with the rifle that you can't quite get away with with the handgun. Yeah, you with a rifle, it's so much easier to be effective with. It just doesn't take as much as a handgun does in terms of skill level and concentration and capability and physical uh, control and. You know, the, the whole thing that goes into performing a, you know, a, a good marksmanship shot with a handgun uh, is so much easier to do with a rifle. You just have, you have a much better platform, way more capacity, more firepower. Uh, it's just, it's just superior in every way. I think if you're going to be, especially if you're in a home defense situation, like, you know, a rifle should definitely be deployed there. Yeah, and that's even before we, we even talk about, which we're not going to in this episode, uh, the terminal ballistic benefits of a rifle over a handgun caliber rounds, that just the amount of energy that, you know, you're, whoever someone's assaulting you or the attacker, um, invading your home and someone you have to shoot and defend yourself, the amount of energy that that body has to absorb and what happens internally with a rifle that doesn't exactly happen with a handgun, it's uh, it, it's superior by far. Yeah, that impact energy is way higher. Yes, like tremendously higher. All right, so what's on our rifles? Uh, I've got a few rifles. I got a few ARs. I got an AK. I got one AK right now. Uh, there's been times in my life when I've had more than those. But when I have a rifle for home defense or you know a fighting gun. You know, gun that I'm taking a class to teach them law enforcement, which I would set up for, you know, more d- duty purposes, whatever. There's a few things that, that I believe that you need to have on a rifle. And Varg and I didn't talk about this beforehand, but I'm pretty sure we've talked about enough things that we're things that we're going to be out here uh, in agreement on on pretty much everything here and probably even end up saying the same things. But I'm hoping we have a little bit different reasons why. Uh, one of those out there is... If you're having a gun for defense, especially in the home, and a couple episodes ago we talked about advanced safety, and, and one of those rules was be, of mine was be sure of your target and ensure that its foreground and background remain clear. 
there have been a lot of cases out there in history where loved ones shot and killed loved ones, killed their children, killed their uncle, killed somebody who knew where their key was hidden. They got kicked out of their house because they came home drunk again, and they came over there to crash on the couch, knock the lamp over, and somebody comes in and shoots them. The homeowner thinks they're being – somebody's coming in to hurt them. So being sure of your target and doing that with white light is going to help you follow that safety rule. It's going to help you be safer to make sure you are shooting the right thing and not injuring someone that you love and care about. So having a light on the gun is going to keep you safer because you're going to be able to see if that is an attacker and it's not a loved one. So a lot of reasons to have a light, and I'll let Vard run with that one. Yeah, the PID thing is is probably the most important thing. Like you, you need yeah. to know what it is that you're pointing your gun at and you need to know what it is that you're shooting at. There is no exception for that rule. Uh, you, you just have to know that, and you can't know that in the dark without a light. So it's, it's not even a question. It's not a debate. Your rifle should have a light on it, and that's just standard equipment. Uh, the type of light, there's a few acceptable lights out there, I think. Um, you know, But as long as you're in that, like, surefire uh mod light you know those are probably the two top right now uh i personally run surefire i don't have uh, i'd like to try a mod light out but haven't ran across the right opportunity to get one yet yeah i mean i've been on the mods light for a while just really impressive lights you know there's some yeah. quality stream light stuff out there yep yep i've got some stream light handhelds that that uh I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't mind uh, at all if I had to strap a streamlight onto my rifle. If that was what I had to work with, it, it wouldn't hurt my feelings. I think they make pretty decent lights. Yeah, a good start. A lot of folks do on their rifles. They'll throw a TLR1 or something on there, you know, a streamlight TLR1, which is a handgun light, but they can put it on the rail, and that'll get it done, and for a very little amount of money. Well, I will say this. I was one of those guys that tried that on a rifle once, and I caught the doorway in a training house and broke the plastic mount off of the gun and lost the light. So I would say that the, the integrated mounts on pistol lights are not sturdy. Absolutely. So, yeah. So if you have like an aluminum getting in it, getting the light on the gun, when you can't everything else, you you don't, and let's be real. Like you're not going to Afghanistan and clearing, you know, caves out there, you know, looking for the Taliban. There's some other lights out there that I personally wouldn't use because I, I put a little more value on this uh, this world and, and firearms and quality gear, and I've seen enough stuff break that I will go ahead and sacrifice something else in my life to spend more money on, on what I know that works. But I also know that not everybody is willing or able to do that. So there's some, some lesser-known brands, some cheaper lights out there that – that, you know, hopefully it doesn't fail on you. It's not what I would use, but if that's what you can afford and what you can get and what you're willing to, to sacrifice your money for uh, to do, you know, there's there's a few options out there that, that get a bad rap all over the Instagram and, and YouTube and everything else. But there's some of them that are, that are holding up that are pretty tough, but they're not surefire, stream light, mod light quality. But, you know, maybe you don't, you're not ready for that. Maybe maybe you'll you'll figure that out later on, and, and you'll get to that point. But uh, I would say right now, don't don't hold out 
for the surefire, if you're not ready to drop 350 bucks on something, get something on that light or on that gun. Yeah, and this is about rifle setup. It's not a show about lights, which we could do a whole show about lights. But for sure. just quickly, just quickly, the differences are not just durability and reliability. The power of the light and also the lens design and how a light focuses its hotspot and how it throws its splash. And that determines the power plus the lens design determines how well it penetrates through photonic barriers. If you're looking down a hallway where there's a room with a light on, so there's light splashing out into the hallway, can your light penetrate past that? Like all those types of capabilities are determined by the power in the lens design. So that's what sets lights apart. So if you were, if you didn't know this and you wonder, well, why are those lights so expensive and why do I need one of those? That's why. It's not just paying for the name. It no, is not. it's a performance There's difference. more to it than just yeah. reliability and name brand, for sure. Which is why, man, that mod lights, looking at all the reviews of those and seeing them, and, uh, you know, I've, had, I've played with them on people's guns, um, never had one myself yet. Just, they're just, it's pretty incredible, the the two light options that they have and, and what those do for your particular mission, for whatever it is you're going to do with that rifle. It's uh, out there. And for what you get, it's, um, they're, they're not that pricey. I think for what you get with that light, which is why they're all over my radar right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just curious, what uh, what kind of rifles do you run? My main go-to gun uh, and home defense gun, and when I travel, take it with me, primary weapon systems. It's a Mark 111, the short barrel rifle 11-inch or 11.5, I think it is. And uh, it, it's I just got a new upper for it. It was a Mark 110. Been running that rifle for a long time. My last upper together was a, a SBR this a, a long time. Actually, I bought it as an SBR. I had a ridiculous amount of rounds for that thing, and it's been the most reliable rifle I've ever owned. And I've owned some pretty reliable rifles. How about you? Uh, my my ARs have pretty much exclusively been Daniel Defense for the past probably six or seven years. Solid gun. I'm a believer you got to change out that stock before it breaks. Other than yeah, that, yeah, yeah, solid uh, guns. yeah, the older, I think, uh, I've got an older model, which has the, the stock on it from Daniel, but it wasn't the, it's not that new stock. Um, yeah. and that one's held up really well, but the other, I see that curve part it under it. I've seen two of those break in the last, yeah. last year or so. Yeah. 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 You got to change out some parts. It's just like anything else you get. I think there's uh yeah, you buy a Glock, you got to put new sights on it. You, yeah. Nothing comes the way I want it. Yeah, but I've been real happy with those. My AK is, uh, you know, one of the Bulgarian um, arsenals, and uh, so that's uh, been a super solid gun, SLR 107FR. Uh, so yeah. that's been a fun gun, yeah. And, um, you know, what kind of setups do you run? So I've got a, um, right now, on my Mark 111, I've, I've been playing with this new Vortex 1-10, to and I've played with it enough to know that I like it a lot. Uh, and I've got that on my 11-inch AR, and people might look at that like, why does he have a, a 1 to 10 power on his 11-inch AR? I am personally a huge fan of the low-power variable optic. What it brings to the table as far as, you know, a close-range fight, mid-range, and a long-range fight, what it brings to the table when you're not fighting and you just need to get some some data on something, you need to scope something, uh, the observation benefits to it. There's just, uh, to me, there's just, Tons of benefits of having an LPVO and not just having a red dot on the gun. And I'm as fast with it as I, as I am a, uh, 
you know, at any point, maybe maybe I would argue the EOTech's a little faster because it's just you, you just can't miss that that reticle in the EOTech. But I you know I, I love I love an LPVO, so I've got that Vortex one to ten on it. Uh, I've got a, a couple year old Surefire Fury thousand lumen light on it uh, with the pressure switch sitting there on top. Been trying to find some good sites, but struggling to find some good sites because I want to replace my Magpul Mbus Pro sites. You know, I've been trying to find these sites for quite a while, trying to get hold of some nights or something. When I'm in some some classes and, and I'm teaching, for example, my patrol rifle problem solver class, there's a lot of really awkward positions that we get in, in and around cover and changing magazines and reloading and uh, as if that's two different things, clearing stoppages with, with the, the firing arm down or the non-firing arm down. And because those MS MBUS pros do not lock in place in the upper position, I will often find that my rear sight ends up leaning a little bit and I got to pop it back up or my front sight collapses all the way. And that's a problem for me for problem solving in a worst case scenario. So I want to have gear for a worst case scenario, not for standing on a range on a square range, you know, best case scenario. And those sites no longer meet what I need for uh, that worst case scenario type setup. Mm. Yeah. What kind of uh, what kind of a sling are you running? I, you know, I've tried every single sling out there. I think the um, and I keep going back to the Magpul M3 sling, not the one with the old little loop slider, but the one with the the plastic slider, because I'm very fluid with my sling. To me, a sling is not just something that holds my rifle up. It's something that I I change constantly. I change the length mm-hmm. of it constantly. I do a lot of different things with my sling depending on what I'm doing with my gun. And that slider on that sling and this, the fact that the sling has no padding to get caught on gear or anything else as I move my rifle around, it just keeps coming back to being my, my go-to sling. Yeah. What, uh, what, do you know what number uh, Magpul sling that is? I think it's the M3. I use the one with the Q3s. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so I fluctuate between um, I've got the older Blue Force gear that, that adjusts really easily. It's got this little pull strap, and you can, you can move the length on it very easily. Uh, that's my main one. And then I've got uh, the MS3. Uh, I'm pretty sure MS3 is on my AK. Uh, and I've ran that. I've ran that sling a lot on different rifles. So I I, I think it's one of the better slings out there too. Um, and then I have uh, one of my ARs is a, a very heavy barrel uh, V7 that I've got set up with a 4 to 12 optic. And... Uh, that one I run a savvy sniper sling on because the sling allows me a lot of flexibility. It's got more components to it, so I'm not sure that I'd want to use it for a straight up fighting sling, but for a, for a gun that you know I'm using to reach out a little bit and I spend a lot of time on the ground and you know we're in prone position, like it it allows me a lot of flexibility to really adjust the sling a lot and be able to get in and out of it with uh, cobra clips and all that stuff. So. Um, that's worked really well for me in that application. So slings are a funny thing. And I always talk about in classes, you're going to have a love hate relationship with your sling. It's going to be in the way when you're trying to do something, it's going to be in the way in some awkward position. It's going to come over. Your hand's going to get caught in. Your hand's going to be by the ejection port or the sling is, uh, you're going to rack that slide at some point in an awkward position, or if you're doing one handed stuff or anything, and you're going to grab your sling at the same time by accident it's a, it's a love hate thing, and there's a lot of times where maybe we talk about some of this stuff in the future, where it's time to to drop that elbow and dip out of that sling and go to the rifle necklace. Um, there's a time when you just drop that sling altogether. 
But what the, the sling does a lot of things for you. Keeps that rifle on you is most importantly. Um, it keeps it on you when you transition to a handgun. Keeps it on you when you're doing something else that doesn't involve that rifle. You brought up before we started the show, there was an event last night. If the guy had not had a sling, things probably would have t- turned out a little bit differently. Mm. Uh, I'll let you handle that one because that was totally your thought and observation. Yeah, so I was going to uh, – the reason why slings are important, one of the reasons, is that your your weapon retention is there in positions that are less than optimal, right? So this guy last night was in Kenosha, and he's running. He'd been involved in a shooting uh, confrontation with protesters. He's running. He's being pursued by a large group of protesters, and he's got his rifle slung. And he's running, and they catch up with him. They hit him, I believe, with a, a large stick or something like that and knock him to the ground. Now, at that point right there, if he didn't have a sling on his rifle at that point, he probably would have lost the rifle on the way to the ground. So he goes to the ground, turns over on his back. Now he's on his back, and he's getting he gets kicked. And they're they're closing in on him. And they're starting to make contact, and they're coming in, and they're taking shots at him, you know, kicking him, swinging stuff at yeah, him. Yeah, there's a good vid- picture out there on, on the internet of him getting hit across the back with a skateboard. Yeah, there's an excellent video of the whole thing, too. And he he's able to get his weapon back into business and shoot a couple of the guys and get himself back to his feet and fight his way back out of there. And he made, you know, he made it out. Uh, he cleared that crowd off. I mean, he, he was you know, definitely in some trouble. He was in some serious trouble. And there's no doubt that deadly force would have been used against him because they had already determined that he had shot someone and that he was like anti-protester. So the fact that he already used deadly force would open up their willingness to use deadly force against him, feeling justified in like what they would term self-defense in their, in their strange way of, you know, interpreting that. And, he was in a very, very precarious situation. Had he not had a proper sling on that rifle, he probably would not have made it through that situation. But he had a sling. He was able to retain it in the fall. He was able to bring the rifle back around and get it back into work. And he was able to fight his way back to his feet. He shot a couple guys and he fought his way back to his feet and got out of there. And from what I could tell, it looked like he had his sling set up properly. Yeah. And that's important too. Yeah, how's your, how, do, how do you set your sling up? Like, where do you attach at, and how do you sling it? So I run two-point uh, almost 100% of the time, and uh, I connect the, the back end on, on the buttstock side on the right side of the gun, on the outside. So when if I've got the gun on my right shoulder firing, and I'm going to go to a full weak side or half weak side, it's not restricting on my carotid artery and choking me out, giving me a blood choke while I'm shooting. It's a lot easier to maneuver around. Uh, to be fluid with that sling, loosen it up and, and tighten it up. Uh, I run the the forward QD just in front of the um, a little bit of, like one or two M lock rails in front of the um, the lower receiver, you know where the 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 handguard begins. I like that uh, a little bit tighter right there. I do some if I'm going to go cross body, you know if I'm things in in my past. Uh, and I haven't really dealt with this in a long time other than in a class in a breaching course. If, if I'm going to go cross body, cross my back, because I want to be completely hands-free for some situation, 
Uh, I like to take my QD quickly from that spot by the receiver forward on the gun to pull that tight around my back and then cinch it down real quick. And that gives it a good hands-free cross body right behind you with the muzzle up. So if I'm going to a knee, uh, you know, changing a tire in an emergency situation, flex cuffing somebody, whatever, I'm not worried about my barrel going down in the dirt and making my gun go down hard because I just stopped up the end of my rifle. When I say flew with my sling, there's a few different things, but I'm usually running around with my QD right there in front of the receiver and then on the outside right side of my uh, buttstock. Yep. You similar? Yeah, I run two-point exclusively. Uh, I run the, I run it as tight to the receiver as I can on both ends. So I'm usually right by the the back of the receiver and right by, you know, right on the rail in front of the receiver. I like it to be a really tight on the receiver and it gives me the ability to uh, move that sling out if I need to. It gives me more adjustment, if that makes sense. Like the wider it is mm-hmm. on the gun, the less the less distance I can create between me and the rifle. So if my sling has a lot of adjustment in it, I can, I can pull that sling tight, run it tight most of the time and the rifle's where it needs to be. But if I need to push that rifle out away from me, I can open that sling up and I've got the maximum amount of space there. So it just gives me the most adjustment. And uh, I like the way the control is, the way that I run, um, that I, whether I'm running two-handed or I'm running like football carry uh, with the stock up over the shoulder, it gives you the most amount of control um, during heavy movement as well. Yep. Let's go back to optics for a second. I talked about mine. You didn't talk about yours, and we left something else important out about mounts. Yeah. Yeah, so on my main my my main rifle is a um, Daniel Defense V7 SLW Lightweight. I uh, really like the gun. Uh, it's just it's, It comes in just over five pounds naked. So I've got it fitted out with a uh, Unity Fast Mount and uh, Comp M5 Aimpoint. Uh, I run a Magpul Inbus front sight, and I use the rear sight in the Unity mount. I opted not to use the front sight included with the Unity mount. You can go either your own front sight or you can use a front sight post that's included. So I got the longer sight radius for my irons, and the Unity mount sits up high enough so it has a rear iron in it, and you can just co-witness your front sight through that. So I have irons and optic all the time. I don't, you know, I, I could I could literally keep the front sight flipped up and it doesn't get in the way of my optic. Uh, my mechanical offset is higher. It's bigger, of course, but that's if you know your mechanical offset, that's not a problem. Um, so that's how I have set up my main rifle. Um, I have another one that's set up with, as I said earlier, um, a 4 to 12. And that's just a Leupold optic. It's probably a $600 optic. Decent glass, decent decent optic. It's It's good for what I use it for. Uh, that's mainly a coyote gun, or if I had to, you know, work 300 yards and in uh, quickly, that gun's dialed in pretty good for anything like that. Uh, I think that. Have you played with any high mounts with uh, LPVOs? No, I haven't, and I haven't done a lot of LPVO work either. Um, I'm I'm going to eventually move into that, you know, that uh, market as well. But uh, I haven't done a lot of work with it. I borrowed an LPVO rifle in a shoot house class to give it a shot. And one thing I noticed was I turned a corner and there was a 25 yard hallway. I had to turn the power up a little bit, get a clean shot on a guy that was in at the end of that hallway. Then when I entered my first room, I had an up close shot 
And guess what I forgot to do? Yep. Turn that power back down. And so I had a blur. Yeah, there's there's a little bit shot. of a learning curve there, a little bit of a mental shift. Yeah. So there's a little bit of, there's some extra steps in there with LPVOs that you've got to have down, you know, like, like, uh, it's got to become a habit. There's also some solutions to that problem. If you do fail to reduce your power again, that you can be very accurate without even at that higher magnification mm. at reasonable distances, you know, we're, we're talking 10 yards and in kind of thing. Room distance. Yeah. This is what really changed me. You know, I, I liked the LPVO on, on, on the rifle for a long time, but when I started playing with uh, the higher mounts, like uh, I've got a 1.93 on mine and my other optics have 1.93s, even though they're not sitting on guns right now, the, that higher optic, you know, it, you'll, you'll look at a gun with that on there and you can tell it's a, it's higher than usual. And yeah, you do separate your line of sight from center line of bore a bit more, but what you get is a much faster sight acquisition. And I say sight acquisition because you know it, it still could be a target acquisition, but it's your your it's so much easier. It like, almost makes the, like that eye box easier to find. Um, having that thing low and you end up bringing your head down and and looking having to move your eye and look through kind of the top of your eye socket. Having that higher mount, you can be in a, in a better shooting without any strange uh, neck strain that maybe you don't even notice that you have with the lower mounts. And that eye box, it just pops. Like it just gets, it's right there where it needs to be. It just feels so much more natural with the higher mount uh, with the LPVO than it does with the, uh, the the traditional, you know, lower mount. So that's what I'm using right now. And I've, I've been using it for a couple of years now, like a 1.93 mount. That's even true with uh, red dots. That unity mount is way up yes. there. It's way up mm -hmm. there. And, and you know, you don't get a cheek weld, you get a chin weld. And um, yep. and I think with, uh, you know, if you're laying behind a, you know, a 300 wind mag or something, like cheek weld is more important. But if you're running a rifle, you're standing up, you're moving, you're, you're putting a rifle up and down, you know, you want to be standing up, looking ahead, have your eyes up. You don't want to be tucking your head down and pulling your neck down and craning into some weird position. It's just nice having that high mount, just raise that gun up and in a natural standing position, everything is right there and you're not straining any part of you. Yeah. For me, the 1.93, I still get a good cheek weld. Um, and I can still use it because I, I teach to push down with your face. Like I'm going to pull back into my shoulder with my pistol grip. I'm going to pull back into my shoulder with my forward hand. Uh, I'm going to push down with my face. I'm squeezing my arm in. Uh, I'm trying to create a vice around this gun. So I, I still can get a good cheek weld on with that optic i think that i don't know what the height of the unity is it, it's significantly higher if i'm not mistaken yes it is yeah definitely uh you know what uh, we, something we didn't mention i i am personally not a fan of muzzle brakes i i prefer to have a flash hider i love it when it has some kind of compensation properties to it but uh i, I prefer a flash hider because if, if i were playing a game if i were shooting you know, three gun, uh, I would probably roll with a muzzle brake, but the amount, the signature effect that's created with a muzzle brake versus the signature effect in in low light and also in daylight when you're near the ground and you're in a dusty type environment or dirty dirt environment, the the flash hider, depending on how that's set up, or even you could think like an old A2 compensator that has flash hiding properties, but it also has compensation properties as well. The uh, I, I prefer a flash hider with some compensation properties, and the uh, not that I, I would select the A2. I think there's better flash hiders out there, 
and I haven't looked at a lot of the new stuff lately. I, I prefer a flash hider for fighting over a, a muzzle brake myself. I agree. I don't I don't think there's a lot of need for a muzzle brake on a five five six. I, I don't personally feel like that's something that you, you know, really have to have. I think that a a proper flash hider, a well designed flash hider is probably the ticket. Um it's also a very terrible experience for your teammates or your classmates when you show up with that obnoxious muzzle brake. Uh, it is a horrible experience when I'm behind coaching and, and teaching and somebody's shooting right right there constantly and like my teeth hurt every single time there's a gunshot. They'll come out there with these like nine inch barrels and ten inch barrels with, with muzzle brakes and just like like they don't like people. They don't want friends. <laughs> Yeah, I you know, I had an experience once in a shoot house class where I breached the door. I was a breacher and the assaulter moved in and I breached the door and stepped back to the to the door threshold and the assaulter moved in to take a shot and he didn't push his muzzle past the threshold. So the muzzle was right in line with my face about two feet away and he had an obnoxious side forced muzzle break on it and I thought it broke my nose. Like it it literally felt like I got punched in the face by a gorilla. Um, and I was very upset with that guy. Yeah, I bet, I bet you were not happy I was, at all. I was I not hated happy. to have been that guy. <laughs> it was, I was noticeably upset. We'll put it that way. I don't doubt that. Did he, did he change out? Did he email you later and say he changed out his muzzle brake for he, a flash hider? He changed out his, his gun immediately after that event. <laughs> I bet you had some <laughs> level of influence on that. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's pretty funny. You know what? Let's talk magazines. This is this is the Mag Life from Gun Mag Warehouse. My my opinion on this is is not always the most popular with people out there, but I've seen a lot of magazines used. I've done a lot of magazine testing with all different types of brands. Now I say magazine testing, a lot of this isn't like straight up scientific where we're recording everything, creating controls and all kind of other stuff. Um it's just a lot of experience, and there's some, there's quite a few really good magazines out there, and uh, there's some that are known to be really good magazines that I find fail a lot. There's some magazines out there that are that are well known brands that that I find that have some issues, and one of these major issues that I run into is if I've got a magazine in my hand and it's filled with rounds, as it would be whenever it's going to go into uh, a bolt lock to the rear rifle for a reload situation, is if I hold this in my hand and I slap the bottom of the magazine, how many rounds pop out? How much force does it take to pop the rounds out? I see it in classes with some of these magazines. You know, I see it sometimes with newer Lancers. It seems like olders don't do it so much. I see it sometimes with GI mags that a lot with GI mags that don't have self-leveling followers. I see it a lot with uh, some of the, the lower end brands that you probably all know. I don't even need to name them where we put that magazine in the magazine. Well, it doesn't take a lot of effort at all to put a magazine in a rifle with a bolt lock to the rear. But when somebody builds up this like Kamehameha wave and like they're going to slam this magazine into the rifle. I see double feeds caused from bad magazines right then when they're reloading their gun because they, they hit that thing in there, give it a too hard of a pop and a round pops out the top because there's a feed lip issue with that magazine. So I, I see other issues happening um, with, with guns and because of the magazine out there, uh, things not dropping free, they don't seat properly. What I have found 
right now, and there's a few brands that I also would trust. You know, your Surefeeds out there. Uh, there's a few other good ones, but my favorite magazine is the Gen M3 P Mag. I see the Gen M2 P Mags. If I if I did a patrol rifle problem solver class this weekend with the SWAT team, which I've done numerous times, I would bet not a whole paycheck, but I'd put a hundred bucks on it that someone, one of these swole guys, hot out here, you know, ninety to hundred degrees outside. Somebody is going to over-insert that Gen M2 P-Mag into their rifle. They're going to have to unsling and stand on the rifle to get that magazine out of the gun. I, I see it almost once every single class with Gen M2 P-Mags because those magazines are incredibly common. They're very inexpensive now. It is a good magazine for a lot of things, but for just a little bit extra money, that Gen M3 P-Mag, I believe, is superior. You know, another thing that I see with Magpul Mags, and I've had this, I've had several, several Magpul mags that, that would do this. Uh, there are certain mags that if you load 30 in there, that will not seat on a closed bolt. You could kick that mag into the gun and it will not seat on a closed bolt. See, I haven't seen that. Here's the interesting thing about Magpul mags, the Gen M2 and Gen M3. And I'm sure you know this, but, yep. but a lot of people out there don't know it. And I run into it in classes with, with newer shooters, they'll fill that magazine up to capacity where there's no room to depress that, that top round. There's a video that I did a while back for gun mag that's on our YouTube channel that I'll put a link to it in the show notes. The, um, or David reader who will be writing the show notes would put a link to it. Those round, those magazines are designed to hold 31 rounds, but you are not going to get that magazine to get seated in your rifle with 31 rounds in there because that top round is that the, the follower has no more room to depress and it's got to depress a little bit to get in on a closed bolt. So a lot of folks end up putting 31 in there. So if you're counting and you're seeing that you have 30 in there an issue, then that's probably a quality control thing with that magazine. I've absolutely counted and I've absolutely had, had more than a few mags do that. And somebody in the industry did a, um, they did a video on it and they demonstrated it and they counted out the rounds and they, and I'll have to pull that up and, and see if we can find that. And, and whatever gear you choose, whatever magazine you choose, you need to test all these things. Yes. You need to know if you have a problem. That's why you run your gear, and that's why you go to classes. You train, you get yep. time in, you get skill work, but you find out that your gear works or doesn't work in the configurations that you have. I tell people this. They, they think I'm crazy sometimes until they come do it. You will save money by taking classes because you're going to see the 20 things that you should not ever buy every single class. And then we have discussions about it, and everything else comes up. The uh, you, you will be thinking about this thing and you'll, you'll be standing next to somebody who has it and they will be like, yeah, it's not the greatest. And I, I shouldn't have bought it. Um, it happens all the time. Go jump in a class. Don't buy anything, put magazines in your pockets and you will, you will save money in the long run. Guarantee it. All right. What did we miss? Uh, optics, light slings. That's, I mean, outside of like getting into like NVG setups and all that kind of craziness, uh, I think we I can't covered afford it. NVGs. Yeah, me neither. Not yet. I haven't got rich yet. Yeah, working on it. In different stocks. There's tons of different stock options out there. Uh, a lot of, a lot of man. There's a lot of good stuff now. There's more good stuff for rifles now than there ever has been in my life, and uh, I think it's pretty awesome. I mean, you talk about like when you're talking about accessorizing, right? So rails, stocks, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like I'm not into forward grips. I, I don't, I don't think that's uh, tactically or you know aesthetically pleasing at all 
I do not have a foregrip on my gun. No, I don't uh, have any. I used to a long time ago. Had a Knights on it. You know, we used to run them in the Marine Corps. Um, and then I, I graduated to the Magpul angled foregrip when it came out. Gave it a shot for a very short time. And now I, I, I do not like having a, a foregrip on my gun. I don't, I don't need it. It's, it's definitely something that you don't see as much as you used to. So that's good. Uh, yeah. and I think that, you know, accessories like rail types and things like that. I mean, M lock is pretty much the boss. Uh, it's what I got on my guns and, um, it, it's pretty much, you know, the best thing you'll find all the great accessories for all the good mounts are going to be an M lock. Uh, you know, the type of stock you run, you know, whether it's like Bravo company or whatever, I mean, there's good stocks out there. Um, but the important stuff to have on a rifle, you have a good rifle that's reliable. It runs well. And then you have a light, a good optic with a strong mount of the proper height and a sling that works. And you're going to be good to go with that setup. That's your basic setup. And I think that's, uh, that's where you start. Like that's your starting point. You have those basic things. You have you have started to have a a good rifle set up at that point. That's all I've got on mine. All right, so uh, let us know down in the comments how you set your rifles up out there. What kind of gear you have? What you found that works well? What you found that doesn't work well? Uh, and if it doesn't work well, why? I'm really curious. I always try to get more information on things that do work and things that don't work. So join us in the comments section in the show notes at the Maglife blog over at gunmagwarehouse.com slash blog and you'll see podcasts up there and you'll see this episode and jump in there and and talk to us see what's going on i hope that helped you out thinking about your rifle and uh how you should set it up and some some good things to consider and we'll be talking about something else again next week you may have missed it last week we put out another episode so the last two weeks have been pretty crazy with the california ordeal with uh the appeals court decision so we put out a, a few episodes pretty quick there. When that happens, a lot of times your your podcatcher, whatever it is you use, doesn't get that latest episode or the one between that uh, last episode you got and the latest episode. So you know, I went up there that you missed. And uh, the previous episode about California magazine ban and what's going on with that is incredibly important to everybody out there. Whether you live in California or not, you should go check out that episode. I learned a lot talking to a California firearms attorney who fights every single day for firearms right in California. And it, it was, I learned a lot from it. It was a pretty awesome podcast. You should go check that out. And guys, thanks for listening. And until next time, the Mag Life out.